everyone. Welcome to Access Ideas. This is Yana, and today I want to talk about Matthew Walker and ideas around sleep. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, was initially published in 2017. And as much as I enjoyed it, I didn't review it on my podcast because I felt he sensationalized some problems that people tend to have, and it might make people worry about them. So the idea of insomnia as being a dangerous thing, or even something that would increase our mortality is something that I didn't want more people to focus on. However, since that book came out, Matthew Walker has evolved his ideas, evolved his framing around research, and he's made some strides towards giving people practical, non-scary advice for getting better sleep. And recently, when I listened to his conversation with Sam Harris in November of 2021 on the Making Sense podcast, I was struck by how practical Matthew Walker's ideas could be perceived if they were just applied a little bit less sensationally. So today's episode is a little bit more of a deeper dive into Matthew Walker's book. But I also take a broader look at the context around why we sleep the book and some of the ideas that I still feel are relevant and the recommendations that Matthew Walker himself continues to put forward to anybody who is struggling with sleep. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode and I'll take it away now. Welcome to Access Ideas. This is Yana, and today I want to talk about sleep and the ideas of Matthew Walker. Matthew Walker became famous within the last few years because he's an English scientist and professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California in Berkeley, and he's popularized ideas about sleep and sleep health, and he's very passionate about this topic. And his most famous publication is his book, why we sleep. And he's also quite famous for a TED talk on the subject of sleep as well. So this has inspired so much discussion, a lot of controversy, and that in itself is noteworthy because sleep is, well, not typically a controversial topic. Since Why We Sleep was published in 2017, this topic of sleep has taken a drastic 180-degree turn with sleep products and lifestyle interest podcasts and media taking off. Um, And this is really quite interesting because what is it about Matthew Walker's book and ideas that would have inspired this sort of obsession? Well, partly it's probably very timely in the sense that you hear a lot of people complaining about lack of sleep, but really I think it's Matthew Walker's delivery of ideas and the warnings around lack of sleep that made it so compelling. There's a lot of very serious threats posed to human health by lack of sleep as Matthew Walker frames it. And some of these have been criticized. And this is the reason why I didn't review this book on my other podcast, Audiobook Reviews in Five. I loved Why We Sleep because I felt Matthew Walker said things very clearly that needed to be said about sleep. And he also had some very compelling arguments that I hadn't considered before. But ultimately, I decided not to review that audiobook on my podcast 
because I came across some controversy associated with Matthew Walker's ideas, and I felt that the negative tone and some of the scare tactics, frankly, that Walker employs in his book were enough to probably create a negative experience that wouldn't be helpful for anybody who is really struggling with sleep or insomnia. And I kind of put this book on the shelf for a while, so to speak, and I left those ideas behind until I heard Walker interviewed on the Sam Harris podcast, uh, Making Sense with Sam Harris. And he had reframed many of his ideas in the sense that he wasn't so much backpedaling and saying that he'd been wrong initially, but what I was struck by was Walker's admission that some of what he'd said before had actually scared people or had given them even more reasons to lie awake in bed at night and worry about why they weren't sleeping and maybe feel a little powerless about their health and their ability to get good sleep. One of the most controversial ideas that Walker came out with in his book was the idea that not getting enough sleep over a lifespan would result in a shorter lifespan, um, and specifically sleeping less than six hours a night would double your risk of cancer, and that having a good night's sleep was essential to living a long life. And some of the data behind this were based on animal studies, and so I understand that that in and of itself is controversial. But I think telling anyone who's struggling with sleep that, by the way, if you're not sleeping long enough, you're probably going to die early. Well, that's not really helpful when you're lying in bed in the dark trying to get to sleep. So that was already well known and it, it really created a lot of controversy. There's whole threads, discussion boards on the internet around this idea. Um, and then there's even the idea that the lack of sleep will kill you outright. And again, some of the data that Walker drew on was from animal studies. So that was enough reason for me to not in initially review this. The other reason was in Why We Sleep, Walker claims that the World Health Organization declared a sleep loss epidemic. They didn't really do that. It was kind of um, a few reports or, or research findings that were conflated into this statement, I think, but that was actually never declared to be an epidemic. And the other idea was that two-thirds of adults in developed nations fail to obtain the recommended amount of sleep. Again, this is not quite proven with the findings, but it was enough to scare people into thinking that maybe they were part of this majority of, of underslept um, people who are going to experience all kinds of health problems and potentially a shorter life. And so this is not to say that sleep doesn't matter or that it isn't important, but I think the reframing of the conversation that Matthew Walker has in Sam Harris's podcast, which I will share in the show notes, is a much more helpful approach in terms of some of the ways that you can sleep better some of the ways that you can set yourself up for success. And I think importantly, some of the behaviors and supplements and pharmaceuticals that are not so helpful. And this is a really important point because so many people have started to take things like melatonin, magnesium, 
There's various herbal supplements that people take in hopes of getting a better sleep. And Matthew Walker really clearly outlines why that isn't great or it isn't ideal in all situations. The other controversial point that Walker wrote about was that optimal sleep or long sleep times are ideal in fairly broad swaths of the population. And some of the arguments against this came to be that, well, there are sleep deprivation therapies that can help people with depression. And I think that's really interesting because it's something that we wouldn't think about. It seems counterintuitive. Often the idea that, you know, sleeping longer is better seems obviously more healthful, more beneficial to us. So now that I've taken a few minutes to outline some of the controversial ideas from Matthew Walker's book, I want to focus a little bit more on some of the useful ideas that I think many of you could probably apply to your own challenges with sleep, or let's say you you encounter some problems with sleep in the future, you could actually apply this to your own understanding of yourself. These are all very helpful and practical, I found And I'll get started with um, going through some of the highlights from why we sleep. So first of all, I think what cannot be overstated and what there is in fact a lot of evidence for is the role of caffeine in interrupting sleep cycles. Many people have heard before about why you shouldn't have caffeine in the afternoon or evening because this can interfere with your sleep and Pretty much everybody I know that drinks coffee late in the day claims that, oh no, it doesn't bother me. I don't feel any interruptions. I feel perfectly uh, rested and I'm able to get to sleep without any problems in spite of the fact that they have an 8 p.m. coffee or whatever it is. This is really interesting because Walker clearly outlines how our understanding of our own sleep quality is a terrible measurement of our actual sleep quality. People who are not well-rested are not able to ascertain their lack of well-restedness, in other words. We're not able to tell that, you know, last night maybe we didn't sleep quite as well because we had that 8 p.m. coffee or even the 3 p.m. coffee. And that's really important because I think so many of us rely on our own perception of our sleep and will continue on with behaviors that aren't necessarily conducive to having great sleep simply because we think, well, I don't feel poorly rested. And so the other factor here is that caffeine works by blocking receptors in our brain that a naturally occurring chemical adenosine affects. And so the caffeine latches onto this and adenosine can't do its job in terms of making us sleep and building up as what Walker calls a sleep pressure in our brain. And this is especially tough for people who process caffeine slower than others. So if you are somebody who digests caffeine more quickly, having that morning or mid-morning or even noon coffee might be fine, but it's really hard to know that. So that's something to consider if you know overall that you're not getting sleep that you want or that your sleep doesn't your, your lack of sleep seems to be a problem. This is related to what Matthew Walker defines as chronotypes as well, I think. So if you want more details about chronotypes, I recommend listening to Matthew Walker's podcast on that very topic. He goes into more detail about people who are those typical morning or larks, 
personalities who can get up early, they feel focused and rested versus the quintessential night owls who really don't hit their stride in terms of focus and energy until well into the night. And unfortunately, those people do pay a price because our culture, and in fact, most cultures tend to reward early risers. And even in fact, our work day tends to be configured around being able to focus early in the day. And this has consequences. So I thought when I was listening to Matthew Walker's discussion of those chronotypes that it would be worth considering if you're somebody who could take a later shift at work or you're able to shift or flex your hours a little bit, that could be something worthwhile to to actually look into seriously. The other important piece of advice that I wanted to share here is the idea of taking melatonin. And there's a few reasons why melatonin isn't ideal Partly, it's that it's not well-regulated. And so if you live in most countries where melatonin is sold over the counter, you risk purchasing a supplement that could contain quite a lot more than is labeled on the bottle or even less. So it's really hard to know what your dose of melatonin is and how that's affecting you. And the other reason is that melatonin should be naturally produced by your brain And this is something that correlates directly to the way that we perceive light throughout the day. And again, in his podcast, Walker goes through the role of melatonin, and he talks about this in the Sam Harris podcast. So I won't get into too much detail about that, but I would say don't take melatonin lightly. Um, I've certainly taken it in the past. I've stopped taking it since I've listened to, to the latest findings on this. And I would consider taking it again for something like jet lag, but I would not take it on a regular basis. Another popular topic that Walker goes into more detail about is the topic of REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. And my impression before listening to Walker's audiobook was that REM sleep was the most valuable sleep and it was the most important sleep to have and that that was really the target of getting better sleep. But in his conversation with Sam Harris, as well as his book, he talks quite a bit about the role of non-REM sleep, which is uh, idiosyncratically given a name that only describes what it is not, um, but it's very much valuable and it's important to the overall sleep experience and restfulness that anybody wants to come away with from a good night's sleep. And Now, specifically related to REM sleep and how that can be impacted or interfered with is the role of alcohol. Alcohol tends to be something that many people believe helps them fall asleep, but this isn't really the case, and maybe you're already aware of this, but in fact, alcohol simply helps you to pass out. In fact, Alcohol helps you to go into a state of unconsciousness, but that is not the same sleep pattern as real sleep. It's typically something where people are passed out. You don't really get the benefits of sleep. And the way that this is measured in a lab is you would have something called sleep spindles or sleep cycles where you would actually, if you were hooked up to the right monitoring equipment, 
you would see that your brain is producing sleep waves or brain waves. They have a pattern, they look a certain way, and it's indicative of deep sleep or REM sleep or non-REM sleep. And the problem with alcohol is that it interferes with this. And sometimes people feel that they had a couple of drinks and they passed out and they woke up even later than they usually do. But unfortunately, this is not indicative that you've had a full night of quality sleep. This is related to something I hear about uh, people in midlife or people who are getting older. They might say that they do have a drink or two to fall asleep and that, well, older adults simply need less sleep. And this is a myth as well that I, I didn't know about. I really believed that as I got older, I would need less sleep. But actually, there is only a palpable reduction in the electrical quantity and quality of that deep non-REM sleep. And so people do experience more challenges to their sleep. And that means often that older adults might think, well, I wake up more frequently, maybe I don't need so much sleep. And so there's more of what is called sleep fragmentation. So older individuals might suffer a reduction in their sleep efficiency, And that is defined as the percent of time you are asleep while in bed. And a way to measure this is through a sleep tracker. There's all kinds of great ones. I use something called auto sleep. I'm not necessarily recommending that or saying that that's the best tracker. But the most important element of using a sleep tracker is that you can actually compare week over week or month over month. What is your sleep efficiency And then how is that impacted by the pattern of things like the time that you typically go to bed, um, your, your room temperature, what you're wearing, what you're eating throughout the day, all of those elements can have an impact. And then especially, of course, caffeine and alcohol. And so all of this goes back to understanding yourself and understanding what you need to get a good night's sleep. And that's great. But I think there's more cultural context than I initially recognized when I started reading this. And the the more time I've had to think about Matthew Walker's ideas, the more time I've had to consider what would our culture look like if we didn't force everybody to get up so early or if we allowed people who had those late night chronotypes to actually get proper sleep by sleeping according to what their body tells them. And again, this is genetic. So this is not something that people can change over the course of their lifetime. If you are that quote unquote, like night owl type of person who likes to sleep late, you will probably always lean that way. And it's true that in different phases of life, uh, like teenagers, for example, uh, will tend to sleep in later And older people might tend to get up a little bit earlier, but there's still that basic chronotype and that's still relevant. So although I've given you a few warnings about Walker's book and that it has some scare tactics or ideas that could be a little inflammatory and worrying, I think one of the elements of his book that is really written clearly and in a way that's compelling to me is the advantages conferred by sleep when it comes to memory. And he lays this out so helpfully. And and this is, if anything, a reason to listen to the audiobook or read his book. And that there's different types of memories that are laid down essentially with various forms of sleep. So specifically 
even non-REM sleep plays a role in the formation of memories. And one of the most striking elements that I've taken with me since listening to his audiobook is that if you learn something, you really have to have solid sleep that night. You can't shortchange yourself, cut your sleep that night and hope that two days later, you're going to have an epic sleep session and you're going to memorize everything that you learned two days ago. It really doesn't work that way. The way that sleep helps you lay down memories, it's in that circadian cycle. So if you don't get solid sleep the day of an important lesson or after you know running through a presentation rehearsal that you need to memorize, the chances of you forgetting are much greater. And so that's why really focusing on consistent quality sleep is so critical. And this is something that, again, is kind of a, a cliche where you hear people say, oh, I'll catch up on the weekend. I'll, I'll sleep in on the weekend. Well, that really doesn't happen, actually. And, and Walker points to a few studies that show that when we try to catch up on our sleep, we don't really succeed in getting the full benefits. You can never come back to the same place that you'd hope to be if you had gotten consistent, deep sleep every single night throughout the week. And so in that sense, that's made it easier for me to determine that it's that I would rather focus on getting quality sleep every night, even if I don't succeed, because sometimes that just happens. But just focus on getting quality sleep every single night as much as you can versus aiming to catch up over the weekend. Another interesting area that Walker delves into are the impacts of lack of sleep in areas of emotional and psychiatric problems. And this is something that a lot of people don't recognize in themselves, which I find interesting because we're pretty good at spotting this in younger children. So typically when a young child is is having a temper tantrum or they're really upset or stressed out, we can say, oh, they didn't get their nap in or they didn't get enough sleep. But I'm always amazed by how many friends and family and myself included don't spot this in themselves. So we have a hard day, we feel forgetful, maybe we feel cranky, we feel moody, and it's sometimes striking to remind ourselves, did we actually get that sleep that we'd hoped for? Or it can be helpful to look back to the night before and say, did I actually sleep well last night? And if not, could that be contributing to my current state? This sounds super obvious when I'm saying it, and yet I myself am constantly struck by this. So I have to believe that other people probably are missing out on this. And maybe you're beating yourself up and you're saying to yourself, what's wrong with me? I should be more energetic or what's with my memory? Well, consider your sleep or your lack of sleep, I should say, and, and maybe don't beat yourself up so much about that. And then this, of course, this, this topic of memory links back directly to Alzheimer's disease. And when I think of Alzheimer's disease, I automatically think of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, two very famous leaders who prided themselves on needing next to no sleep. They bragged about it. They considered it a point of pride that they needed just a few mere hours of sleep and they could run the world, so to speak, in their own words or, or my words, I should say. And of course, both of these leaders very famous for going on to develop Alzheimer's disease. 
just like our lymphatic system, which clears out all kinds of things that can make our health less than ideal, the glymphatic system does the same in our brains. And so um, when we go to sleep, the glymphatic system helps to clear some of the debris, the, the, the waste products, and the excess extracellular fluid through a process that can only take place if we're getting proper sleep. And part of the speculation, as I understand it, is that waste clearance is inhibited. And so you have more risk of developing Alzheimer's because you have the accumulation of these amyloid plaques, which start to form in the brain when people develop Alzheimer's or there's evidence of this, although there are some people that have evidence of these plaques and no evidence of Alzheimer's. So it's not perfectly understood, but this is a really compelling reason to get a full night's sleep if you have any doubt, because who wants to end up forgetting everything? Um, And certainly avoiding neurodegenerative disease through proper sleep seems like a fair bet. And, And I'm willing to put in my efforts to make my sleep quality as optimal as it can be. Although I'm like many people who would always like better sleep, I feel personally that I could always use another hour or two, although maybe that's just because I like sleeping. Finally, one of the things that I like to talk about that's probably the least intuitive to any of us is the idea of imposing a sleep restriction window or a restricted sleep window on our lifestyle. And this procedure was developed initially by Arthur Spielman, and it was designed to eliminate prolonged middle-of-the-night awakenings. Arthur Spielman was the co-director of the Center for Sleep Medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College, and he was a professor of psychology in the neuroscience doctoral sub-program at the City College of the City University of New York. And I think one of the most counterintuitive ideas that he's made popular, or at least he's made popular enough for Matthew Walker to talk about this, is sleep restriction. And typically with with lack of sleep or with insomnia, um, and I myself, you know, if I've had a problem sleeping, I, I tend to do this, is I think just go to bed earlier, be in bed longer, and then whatever sleep you're able to obtain well, it will be better than if you went to bed late or you got up too early. Um, Unfortunately, and as many of you listening probably know, this rarely works. Um, Often it just results in lying awake and worrying, why am I not sleeping? Why can't I sleep? Um, Am I ever going to fall asleep? But actually, one of the ideas that Walker clarifies for us is this idea of sleep efficiency. And so If you practice having a sleep-restricted window, which is to say you give yourself a shorter time to fall asleep, to get quality sleep. So let's say instead of lying in your bed for eight hours, you give yourself seven hours. Um, And let's say this is after you've been struggling with sleep for a while and you know that you're only getting six hours or five hours or less. Well, this shorter window initially, of course, it creates stress and people will not feel good immediately. So it's not a one night solution. But what they found with these sleep restriction studies is that when you give yourself that shorter window, so you you go to sleep at a consistent time 
and you wake up at a consistent time with an alarm clock or what have you. And over time, your body will adapt to this. And I think the way of understanding this is that you're building up more sleep pressure. So you're actually producing lack of sleep and that that chemical, that adenosine chemical is going to build up that sleep pressure for you more consistently because you're giving yourself a smaller window of sleep. So overall, there's some guidelines around this and and the Stanford healthcare site, it says the time allowed should not be less than 5.5 hours, even for people who sleep less than 5.5 hours a night. But the idea is that if you practice this for weeks, you will eventually notice that your body gives into sleep a little bit earlier so you can fall asleep maybe earlier if that's a problem, but you'll also stay asleep longer because you're building up that sleep pressure. And usually people experience a marked improvement in the quality of sleep after about a week of restricted time in bed, Um, but they also realized they were not getting enough sleep. So in this case, the next step is to gradually extend that time spent in bed by 15 to 30 minutes. So whether that's going to bed slightly earlier or setting your alarm clock to wake you slightly later, just to give you that that incremental lengthening of sleep time. And I'd say that's probably one of the most unusual pieces of sleep advice that I'd heard. And Matt Walker discusses this in great detail with Sam Harris on the podcast. So if that's something that you are struggling with, I highly recommend it. I haven't personally tried this, but if it is something you're struggling with, give it a shot. There's a lot of great medical literature and research studies to source and to compare your results to. So you might be wondering, why does any of this matter? I sleep well, I don't have any issues with sleep and good, that's great. If you don't struggle with sleep, keep doing what you're doing, that's wonderful. However, I have the feeling that many of you listening have the odd period of time where you do struggle with sleep and you're maybe wondering, why don't I sleep as well as I could or what could I do to sleep better? And that's where I'd recommend listening to that conversation between Matthew Walker and Sam Harris and certainly listening to or reading Matthew Walker's book if you haven't already done so. This is such an interesting topic, but even beyond the topic itself, what I love is the fact that Matthew Walker has walked back some of his scare tactics or his considerations um, for how he frames ideas about sleep because he's heard from people who've said to him, you know, I, I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm going to die early or I'm going to get cancer. And so what I really appreciate about his podcast as well as his more recent conversations is he's less um, shocking. He's less interested in making people worry about lack of sleep. And to be fair, maybe it's because he's already gained a lot of attention on this topic. He doesn't need to to scare anybody into listening. But I think it also represents something that I like to see more of in popular science, in the, in the popular science literature, which is researchers and teachers backing down from shocking ideas or scary ideas to reframe context and to help people understand how to empower themselves with their own habits. And also though, considering broader habits that impact us culturally. And I would be really interested to see in the next few years, 
if public policy around school hours, for example, or school bus times, or even flight times and work schedules, if any of that shifts as a result of popular understanding about our need for sleep and our chronotypes. And I would think just based on the popularity of Matthew Walker's ideas, that is sure to come because there's just great research and compelling evidence that make it obvious that we shouldn't be repeating old mistakes as a culture, as a society. And we have a lot to gain by rethinking sleep and getting our best sleep possible. If you love Access Ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas.